Should you have to get consent to perform magic on someone? Particularly a minor? Well, Lockhart should, at the very least, because he sucks at it. Thanks for listening to the Belated Binge podcast, the Harry Potter podcast that doesn't take itself or the books too seriously. I'm Zach, and I didn't read these until I was in my mid-twenties. On today's episode, Dobby's bludger breaks Harry's arm, and that's not even the worst part of his day. But hey, at least he won Quidditch! Buckle in for Chamber's Secrets, Chapter 10, The Rogue Bludger. Since the disastrous episode of the Pixies, Professor Lockhart had not brought live creatures to class. Instead, he read passages from his books to them, and sometimes reenacted some of the more dramatic bits. The Belated Binge Podcast. Hi, and welcome to the Belated Binge Podcast. I'm Zach, your host, revisiting some of the most iconic series in recent memory that I was incredibly late on, like our current binge of Harry Potter, where, despite being the same age as movie Harry, I didn't read this series through till my mid-twenties. That's the belated part. Now, we're going back a chapter or two at a time, picking it apart, deep diving what's on the page, speculating about what isn't particularly Dumbledore's role and his master plan. What did he know, when did he know it, and the motivations guiding the story, and, of course, infusing as much sarcasm as humanly possible. That's the binge part. Together, they make the belated binge, and today we continue our reread of Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets with Chapter 10, The Rogue Bludger. But before we get into it, this podcast will have spoilers. This series wrapped up in 2007, so if you haven't read them by now, you're even later than I was. This podcast will also have some adult language. You can buy them in the kids' section at the bookstore, but I didn't read them until I was a grown-ass man. Patron shout-out, our free elf, Alex Sweatley. Alex became a patron right before the last episode dropped, and isn't on social media, so to replace uh, the social media shout-out that uh, is part of that tier, here's a plug for Miracle League of Lake County, which Alex and her boyfriend are coaches for the Cubs team. Miracle League is a national organization, all-inclusive baseball program, and as somebody who grew up playing baseball, I am 100% in favor and behind it. Special announcements, I mentioned this in the last episode, but I'll be joined by the hosts of For Fox's Sake to cover Chapter 11, The Dueling Club, in the next episode of this podcast. They have a book-to-movie compare and contrast podcast, and honestly, I've been trying to book them since I started this thing, so I'm pretty stoked about it. But we're not we're not there yet, so in case you're obliviated or you got your Hogwarts letter late, Let's shove our faces into that white liquidy substance of our pensive. Last chapter, number nine, the writing on the wall was pretty dark. Filch wanted to physically assault a 12-year-old Harry while blaming him for petrifying his cat, which was just the beginning for Harry, who had Snape trying to get him kicked off the Quidditch team, Justin Finch-Fletchley ghosting him in the hallway, and Colin Creevy informing him that the rumor around school is that he's the heir of Slytherin. This coming on the heels of Professor Binns recounting the legend to Harry's class in History and Magic, and apparently it spread to the rest of the school in about five minutes. Before we can move on to this 
week's chapter, we need to close the book on the last chapter and recap our Expecto Plot Changeo. This is the part of the show where we theorize on what we could expect to change in our story if we made one small adjustment to the plot of the chapter we're covering. In the last chapter, I asked, what if Mrs. Norris wasn't petrified? What if she was actually killed? How would that change our chapter? How would that change the story? Accio Crucio, and I went back and forth on this on TikTok, uh, where they suggested without Mrs. Norris, Filch would just have to get another cat. To which I responded with a fun plot twist that Filch would possibly get Crookshanks before Hermione could. And their response was that this was highly unlikely given that nobody wanted Crookshanks, which is sad, but also very true. Uh, Side note, where do you land on the theory that's out there floating in the abyss that Crookshanks was actually the Potter's cat and Hermione getting Crookshanks was kind of a full circle moment? And also why Crookshanks got along so well with Sirius in dog form, they actually knew each other and we're not going to go off the rails with that. But anyway, back to the question that I asked. Um, From my perspective, this obviously makes the scene a lot darker. Filch is going to completely spiral to the point that I wouldn't be surprised if Dumbledore removed him, assuming he's not a poltergeist and is actually removable. Go back to last episode for more on that poltergeist theory because he he was nearly physical with a student when he thought Mrs. Norris was killed he's not going to let it go if she actually is killed on top of that the reaction of the school both student and faculty is probably more severe right no I don't want this to be taken incredibly harshly but I don't think the school's going to shut down just yet. This is a cat, after all. However, last time the chamber was open, Moaning Myrtle was murdered. So I think they would probably launch more into that like lockdown mode with the escorts to class and the whole nine yards with that from the jump, just immediately after finding the dead cat. Um, I also think that Harry would have an even harder time with the rumors that started circulating. And if security's ramped up from the jump, I don't know, does Hermione get petrified? That's the moment that the school actually started to come around on Harry not being the heir of Slytherin because she's one of his best friends. And if that doesn't actually happen, do they ever come around? And what about Ginny? If they ramp up security right away, is she able to sneak around under Tom Riddle's influence? Does she still get locked in the chamber and need rescued later on? Or is she sort of just stuck in her room? Still using the diary, I assume, but it almost seems like if worse happened to Mrs. Norris in the beginning, maybe it's not that far of a stretch to think the students who became victims of petrification might have actually been saved because the threat may have been taken more seriously from the beginning. However, 
this is Hogwarts, and this is a story about a child hero. And if the adults do their job in these books, there would be no book. So everything I just said is probably bullshit, and the events would probably go down the exact same way, except with one less cat in the world and an even worse filch. So on that very, very happy note, uh, we have wrapped up our conversation from the last chapter so this week's expecto plot change o question from chapter 10 of chamber of secrets is what if lockhart wasn't so useless and didn't remove all the bones in harry's arm what if it was mended properly how could that have changed the events of the rogue bludger chapter and what about the rest of this book or the series. Let me know your thoughts to be included in the next episode of the podcast. You can do so here or on my website, belatedbinge.com. That video that I just took will be shared across social media on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. You can respond with your thoughts on any of those platforms or as a voicemail on my website, belatedbinge.com. And With that, we shall dive into the events of this week's chapter with Priority Incan Chapter. We've reached the point where our wands connect. Not the tips, just the streams, so we can recap what went down in the chapter we just read. This week, Chapter 10 of Chamber of Secrets, The Rogue Bludger, starts with our favorite subject in this entire book. The complete incompetence of one Gilderoy Lockhart. And since he's already shown a glimpse of his true colors with the pixie incident earlier in this book, he doesn't dare fail in flying colors in front of the students again, does he? At least not in the classroom with animals or beasts or whatever you call a pixie. These students that he portrays himself as larger than life, you know, celebrity status, high almighty wizard man, better not see him fail again. They might just catch on to your bullshit. And now he's reading his own books and acting them out, with Harry apparently co-starring in his supposed reenactments, and now he's giving homework to the students to write poetry about him and his books so that's fun and this is where our little trio are about to put their plan in motion they need a teacher's signature to get into the restricted section of the library and they've got their mark and hermione delivers who knew a pompous egotistical narcissist just needed to hear that you liked his book and would sign anything that you put in front of him without even reading it after a quick compliment to hermione he turns his sights on harry and we start to cringe again he's doing that thing that thing where he's trying to prove that he's better and more accomplished than a 12 year old kid this time it's about quidditch letting Harry know how great of a seeker he really was and that he'd be happy to help less able players such as himself. And this is where we collectively curse in frustration. Choose your favorite word, okay? Ready? One, two, three. Fuck!
feel better? Me either. And now we're off for the library to utilize our newly acquired permission slip. And Hermione's trying to keep the autograph, and we're reminded she still has her crush on Lockhart. This time we groan together. One, two, three. <sighs> Last time. Maybe. So now we're reading about Polyjuice Potion, and that's just wonderful, because this is one of the biggest moments of the series. This is the brick that lays the foundation for, I don't know, roughly 80% of the remaining plot. It's Polyjuice Potion. Polyjuice Potion. It's about to be used more than wands from here on out. I'd like to say that I'm exaggerating, but I'm not sure that I am. And I'm not going to spend a ton of time on what Polyjuice Potion is supposed to do, because, well, I'll have plenty to say about that down the road in one of those 1,286 times that it's going to come back up. Probably the one here in a couple chapters is where we'll get into it the most. But Hermione's going to go through the ingredients list, and she's... She's talking about how hard it's going to be to get those ingredients and to make the potion in general. Says that she's never seen one more complicated. And Ron gets quite put off by the part where they need, and I quote, a bit of who they're turning into. What does it say about Ron that he immediately went to toenails? And what does it say about me that I think... That would probably be my exact reaction, too. It's gross. It's just gross. And Hermione's reaction is actually pretty hilarious. Um, she slams the book shut, um, calls he and Harry basically chicken shits, because what I failed to mention a second ago is that Harry starts piping up with concerns about getting the ingredients. And, um, you know, what are we going to do, Rob Snape? That might come up later, um, but Hermione's not having it. She's just not. And in her reaction to the two of them being, let's call it trepidatious at best, <laughs> at this plan that she's sort of started to kind of cook up in her head, two things really stand out. One, you can see in the description how personal this is for her, unlike what we've seen in this book until this point. She says that she doesn't want to break rules, but thinks that threatening Muggleborns is way worse than making a hard potion. Hermione is Muggleborn. She feels like this is quite literally the only way to possibly save herself from becoming a victim. Because she knows she's a target. And that's bold. It's empowering, and it's an early glimpse of how... how really ultimately how Hermione the badass you know had who kind of develops her own code of right and wrong it's this foundation that we we really kind of started in the last book um but we're we're building upon it uh, some more now she's gonna do anything that she has to to uphold up uh, what am I trying to say to uphold that code she's awesome that being said, the second thing that stands out to me is it's some bullshit. 
And by that, I mean the way that she emphasizes not wanting to break the rules in this passage. It's a thread that gets pulled, I think, way too often in this series. Hermione, the rule follower, and we're just supposed to be surprised every time she breaks the rules. But this hasn't held up since, like, the Midnight Duel chapter in Sorcerer's Stone. She's broken so many rules already, and more just to get to this book. And for them, quite literally, book inside the book, to get the book that she's reading to them with the potion in it, she had to break rules. Like, she's always breaking rules. And as I've said before, she does it for reasons that she feels are justified, but she still breaks rules all the damn time. So, I don't know. I cringe a little bit because it's going to come up multiple times from here on out. I The one that really stands out, and this is in particular the movie, how it's depicted in Order of the Phoenix when they're coming across the bridge right after their first Dumbledore's army thing. And they do this thing where she's like, it's kind of exciting, isn't it? Breaking the rules and who are you and what have you done with Hermione? That nonsense. Like, they've been breaking rules since day one. She's been breaking rules since day one. It's a dumb thread. That's all. Tangent aside, the boys are down, of course, and we learn that it's going to take a month to make this potion, which isn't great, because as Ron puts it quite eloquently, Malfoy could attack half the Muggleborns in the school by then. And Hermione responds with this being the best plan they've got. So, full steam ahead, she says. Is this really the best plan, though? (laughs) Or even a good one? Let's save that for the Lumos segment. Right now, it's time for Quidditch. Of course it is. I've said this a hundred times already on this podcast. Quidditch never matters for the match. But it always matters to serve the plot and this is no different as soon as this one starts we get a sense of why because harry is immediately dodging a bludger and despite george hitting it away it just keeps coming back for harry's head like a a live sentient angry boomerang i guess at this point it's pretty obvious that there's some kind of wonky shit going on here. And during a timeout, Harry convinces the rest of the team to let him dodge the bludger without any help from the beaters, because apparently Fred and George have been flanking him, hitting this one bludger away the entire match. And so this part doesn't make sense to me. Um, And maybe it's just logic getting the best of me or maybe if this happened we would be less likely to move the plot forward the way that it is intended for the book but why not have one weasley with harry hitting that one bludger away from harry repetitive repetitively repeatedly whatever form of that word that you would like to use here and then the other weasley go down and serve the rest of the team Because there's only one bludger to worry about for them. I know this is supposed to be heroic by Harry or whatever, but it's just dumb. And I guess we need it. Um, 
because if we don't have that, him, you know, dancing around the bludger, we don't have this wonderful Malfoy line so that he can say the whole training for the ballet, Potter, all that thing, because it's, it's just, it's fire, right? It's uber dope, yo. I don't know. I, I'm not hip. Um, and Harry had to have this happen. We needed the Draco jeering because Harry had to see the snitch right above Draco's head while Draco only has eyes for Harry. And bam! Bludger got him. Broken arm. Maybe if these two weren't so infatuated with each other in this moment, he would have remembered that there's a Bludger trying to kill him. But now, in a fog of extreme pain, he just dives at Malfoy, who flies away terrified because he still doesn't realize that the snitch is right by his head, and Harry catches the snitch, gets down to the ground, and passes out. When he comes around, he's surrounded by his teammates. And this is where the chapter kind of falls apart for me. Apparently, the only adult around is Lockhart, and Harry specifically says, Don't do shit to me. Take me to the hospital wing. And this grown-ass man says, no, I'm going to force my magic on you even though I know damn good and well I'm a fraud and I don't know how to do what I'm pretending that I do. It's a shitty plot line, honestly. Like, I... Whatever. We know what happens next. He removes all the bones in Harry's arm and then sends him to the hospital wing where Harry asked to go in the first damn place and should have already been. And I have a lot to say about this, so I'm going to go somewhat rapid fire here. One, why is the nurse not at the matches where kids are always getting hurt? In sports, there are always some sort of training staff or people who are trained in some form or fashion to deal with sports injuries. Now, not every single thing like is... Uh, uh, in everybody's tool belt, but just to coach youth sports, you have to go through certain first aid training. Hogwarts? Nope. A kid could literally fall off their broom from 30 feet and have to walk to the castle for medical attention. Explain that to me. <laughs> Please. And later on, uh, Madame Pomfrey is complaining. I believe the text says, um dangerous games that are always hurting children and inept teachers is what she's complaining about uh that's paraphrasing of course but like she knows kids are always getting hurt at these things why is she not just there anyway two why is lockhart the only teacher here everyone saw harry fall he's been unconscious at least for some passage of time how long i have no idea no other staff member at this game thought it worth their time and energy to tend to the kid who just passed out on the ground? It's not like the match is still going on. It's not like they didn't see it. He literally won then the game. He was the center of attention. Everyone knew. Everyone saw. Apparently nobody cared. At the very least, Madam Hooch should be here and trained to treat sports injuries. I'm just saying. And then the whole, this whole bit 
that we have to deal with with Lockhart. Being just so eager to prove that he can't do magic doesn't really make any sense. If you're if you're a sheep in wolves clothing, you don't jump to the center of the pack and try to howl when you know damn well you can't fucking do it. And if this shit really happened, Lockhart should be fired immediately for not just being completely inept at magic, but literally performing magic on a child who expressed multiple times with witnesses that he didn't want you to do it. Is there no rule that unless there are extenuating circumstances, teachers cannot perform magic on a child who does not consent to it? I mean, look, there there are obvious times when you you know, you have to do magic to help or save a student from a bad situation, or if a student is attacking someone, you gotta do what you gotta do. But this isn't that. This is a child saying, no, don't do this to me. I want to be treated medically by a qualified person. And this adult says, nope, I'm gonna fuck you up with magic. This is nearly as bad as when Snape literally tries to attack Harry in class. That's coming in book six, which also should be a fireable offense for a teacher, and I'm sure I will have lots to say on the subject in, I don't know, seven years when we finally get to that chapter. But again, if the adults in this series were competent, we wouldn't have a series. Maybe we can skip the ridiculous segment this time because I think I just shot my load. This all happened so that Harry would have to stay overnight in the hospital wing. And he'll do so having to regrow all the bones in his arm. Thanks, Skelligrow. And now we interrupt this podcast for a magical word from our sponsor. Hey, muggles and squibs. Have a recent Quidditch spectator injury that was medically treated by an unqualified fraud? Have a racist classmate that goes out of the way to bully you? Well, do I have a product for you? Gilderoy Lockhart here with Skelligrow. One full glass of this and you can regrow missing bones in your arm or give yourself that backbone you desperately need. I grew six inches in six minutes. Thanks, Skelligrow. Skelligrow is not really a sponsor of this podcast. Skelligrow should not be taken unless bones are missing. Skelligrow will not give you courage to stand up to your bullies. Skelligrow should not be taken to enhance your experience in the bedroom. For just one long sickle and two knuts, you'll not only get one bottle of Skelligrow, we'll give you three more absolutely free. Call now. And we're back. After a quick visit from the twins, full of Quidditch and shit-talking and snack food, we jump to the middle of the night. Harry wakes up in pain obviously, because he's regrowing the bones in his arm that he didn't need to lose. Madame Pomfrey could have just flicked her wand and fixed the broken one, and he could have been on his way, but no! Thanks, Lockhart. Um, I guess he's just trying to pay for that Skelligrow endorsement. Anyways, uh, he wakes up in the pain, and someone's trying to give him a sponge bath, apparently. I don't, I don't know why, uh, but it's Dobby, so welcome back, Dobby. Uh, And seemingly within seconds, Harry starts kind of piecing things together. Dobby's the one that blocked the platform to the train. And we get a nod to Dobby's home life with, Dobby gets death threats five times a day at home. 
and Harry gets empathetic and curious, asking about his shitty pillowcase clothes, and we learn about the clothes rule for house elves. That might be important at some point. But our empathy is short-lived when Dobby reveals he sent the bludger after Harry that landed him here, or at least led to it. Lockhart landed him here. I'm pretty sure I'm just beating that dead unicorn with its own horn. And Dobby starts to drop hints and plots planning, I guess, and we ultimately get to the Chamber of Secrets was opened before. And just before Dobby can spill any more through this complete maddening refusal to just say what's going on he has to he has to dramatize everything with you know ask no more harry potter oh annoying ass Uh, but as annoying as it is it's it's effective to cut the conversation short just before dumbledore brings colin creevy into the hospital wing apparently he had been trying to sneak up to see harry and bring him some grapes and he got himself petrified for his trouble And they check his camera to see if he got a picture of the attacker, since he takes pictures of literally everything, and the camera just melts. Then the chapter ends on a giant foreshadow from Dumbledore confirming that the Chamber of Secrets has been opened again. And that wraps up our chapter, bringing us to... This episode is brought to you by Anchor. If you haven't heard about Anchor by Spotify, it's the easiest way to make a podcast with everything you need all in one place. Anchor has tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. And when hosting on Anchor, you can distribute your podcast on listening platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. And best of all, Anchor is totally free. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Explainiarmus. It's time to disarm your reluctancy and explain how you can support this podcast. Belated Binge is a fully independent production. I read the books, write the script, record the episode, edit the recording, pick and produce the sounds, manage the content schedule, manage social media, promote the podcast, and feed producer Jack. Any costs from equipment to software to website development, marketing, any of that comes out of my pocket. And despite How many times I've been told we look alike? I'm no Harry Potter. No half-giant has ever taken me to a bank full of cash and said, Hey, you're rich! Having a podcast takes a lot, and it's not easy, so your support is literally the only thing that keeps the show going. There are a few key ways you can support the podcast. First, word of mouth is absolutely huge. If you enjoy the show, please tell everyone of your Potterhead friends to give it a shot. Also, many of the pod players now support a rating and review function. Apple, Spotify, Good Pods, Podchaser, just to name a few. And it takes about four seconds to leave a five-star rating on the app. This can be greatly impactful. If you have more than four seconds and the app that you're using supports written reviews, that's even better. Think about how reliant we are on reviews. Whether you're buying something new or deciding what book to read next, we're always looking at ratings and reviews to weigh into our decision. Podcasts are no different, and your positive review could be the difference in someone discovering the show and deciding to give it a chance. 
Another great way to support the show is engaging in the conversation yourself, whether it be answering the specific questions I pose during the show or on social media. Maybe you just have a theory of your own or you want to leave some feedback. I'd love to hear from you and maybe even share it on the podcast. You can submit your thoughts by leaving a voicemail on the website, belatedbinge.com. Just click the little leave a voicemail icon on the page that you visit. If you don't like the sound of your own voice, you can also respond in written form by using the contact form on the website, leaving comments or DMs on social media. My handle is belatedbinge across Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. And you can also email belatedbinge at gmail.com. The final and perhaps most impactful form of support is to become a patron on Patreon. I've made a ton of updates to Patreon membership benefits this season and some goals to shoot for as well. There are currently six tiers available designed to fit any budget level ranging from $1 to $20 with all the bells and whistles. So benefits range from early access to ad-free versions of the show, recognition on the website, bonus episodes, patron shoutouts, show prep notes, insider participation, binge award participation, input on show content and future benefits, a drawing for a physical gift sent from me to you and others. I've also set some growth goals that will unlock new benefits for existing tiers and maybe even adding some more stuff as we go. The first goal is to get 10 total patrons, at which point I will start a patrons Discord server. However you choose to support the show, thank you. I truly appreciate it. Now, let's get you back into the flow of the episode. Lumos. Lumos. Let's pull out our wands and light the tips, but we're not blowing smoke. We're here to illuminate. Let's break down this plan that the trio have. All right. Um, there's someone in the school who has opened the Chamber of Secrets, and now the Muggleborns at the school are in danger. Our little trio suspects that the culprit could possibly be Draco Malfoy because he's a bully, his family has a reputation for being blood purists and Voldemort supporters. He's in Slytherin, the evil house who made the chamber in the first place, and he screams mud blood at people on a regular, in public. At 12 years old, their logic is fairly sound, uh, even if it does lack some nuance. They're not crazy for thinking this way. Uh, after all, he is the most openly blood racist kid that our characters have encountered. We know this because we only really encounter the people Harry encounters, and we haven't met a kid that fit the bill better than Draco to this point. But let's be real. These are also kids. They're quick to suspect the person they don't like the most and being the villain when shit goes down is immediately where they're going to point their finger. That kid's mean to me, must be evil, kind of logic. I would argue that Draco being so vocal about his support of whoever has just opened the chamber would indicate that he didn't the person likely wouldn't want to be caught, right? So they would probably keep quiet. 
and not shout racial slurs at people and draw suspicion. But again, they're 12. So the plan is to interrogate Draco about it. But they don't know how they're ever going to get him alone and how they would get him to tell them anything about what they want to know. They're not friendly, so he wouldn't talk to any of them directly. And they're not, I don't know, master manipulators. They're not trained in interrogation. And none of them have the truth serum. The um, the name's escaping me. Somebody make fun of me for not being able to think of that potion off the top of my head. Um, but anyways, Hermione has a plan. Of course, Hermione has a plan. Uh, and Hermione has come up with this plan to disguise themselves. Maybe he will confide in them then. To do this, they'll use Polyjuice Potion. And they'll turn into Slytherin students who are close to Draco. And that he would trust. Crab and Goyle for the boys, and who cares for Hermione? Just a Slytherin girl we'll learn about later. It's going to take a month to make the potion... And they'll have to steal the ingredients, or at least some of the ingredients, from Snape. And they'll have to grab a bit of the people that they'll turn into. The story likes to use hair. And that's the plan, in a nutshell. What could go wrong? I don't even know that I would call this a solid plan. I think as Ron would say it... It's completely mental. Question. Before we get into the merits of the plan, do we think that Dumbledore is already aware of the plan at this point? I think I would consider that he might. They had to get a signed permission slip to get this particular book from the library. That's a paper trail. Would it be crazy to think that when an underage student does this, the headmaster is informed? Who and what book? At this point, Dumbledore knows and wants, he fully intends for Harry to play the hero. So he's got to suspect that Harry's already trying to be heroic in some way. He's planning something, or at least Hermione's planning something and Harry's going to go along with it. Uh, I think if you listened back to season one of this podcast, uh, Dumbledore was very much in asset collection mode and testing Harry out during that book. And he was, I think, pleasantly surprised to find that he got three tiny heroes for the price of one. And so at this point, he's probably thinking, they (laughs) are planning something of some sort. And if he's informed that they have this book, it's probably not a stretch to think that Dumbledore suspects what potion they might be after. Now, has Dumbledore memorized every potion in every book? Maybe, but probably not. But if he's already expecting that they'd be planning something and then learns that they've gotten a restricted potion book... I don't know that it's too far of a reach for him to think Polyjuice would be a target recipe within it, especially with how much it ends up being used throughout the rest of the series. So I don't know. 
I don't even know that it matters, because whether Dumbledore suspects it or not, it doesn't make it a good plan. Hermione calls it the best they've got, and from the pages I've read, it's the only plan they've got. It's the only one they've even considered. So let's play a game. Are there other plans that they could have possibly tried? So the first one that comes to mind for me is ultimately where the book ends up going is they could essentially go on offense, try to find the chamber secrets themselves. And if you can find the chamber, maybe you can catch the air in the act of opening it or at the very least find it and inform Dumbledore where it is to help him catch the culprit. You know, they've, they've narrowed in on Malfoy. They haven't considered any other potential suspects. Now they're going to waste a month on an elaborate ruse just to talk to one potential suspect. Going for the chamber, it could take a month, but it might get you to whoever the suspect actually is and widen your pool and increase the odds of actually finding them. Of course, we're pretending that 12-year-olds confronting the heir of Slytherin is a good thing in the first place, but... I mean, that's what's got to go down, right? This is a kid's book. What uh, what other plans might there be? What if instead of trying to find the chamber, they just tried to find the person? Not try to figure out how to talk to Malfoy. And if they figure out that it's Malfoy along the way, great, grand, fantastic. Their immediate suspicion is correct. But why not try to go for whoever that person might be? They could look for clues and stake out the halls near where the message was written. It's not a stretch to think that it was written in that particular corridor for a reason and that the person might return to it in some form or fashion. Maybe Harry does have the invisibility cloak. They could take turns. (laughs) Just throwing it out there. Need some donuts for this stakeout and we know obviously in a reread that it wouldn't take that long to see Ginny coming out of the bathroom with the basilisk in tow and what if they did what if they did go one of these routes whether it was going for the chamber themselves or just staking out the area trying to figure out who might be returning to the scene of the crime what if they found Ginny how's that play out You know if it's Ron, he's jumping out. And then the question is, would Ginny be able to shake off Riddle's control when he, uh, like, does it? When he jumps out and she gets a good look at him and realizes, oh, that's my brother. Is she able to shake free? Or does Ron become the next victim? Pure blood or not, basilisks don't care. (laughs) So what does Ron see the basilisk through? anything does he get petrified or does he look directly into the eyes that got dark before it gets any darker why don't we switch gears here and do some divination it's time to highlight four moments in the chapter that foreshadow something to come in the future one Ooh, look, powdered horn of a bicorn. 
Don't know where we're going to get that. Shredded skin of a boomslang? That'll be tricky, too. Do you realize how much we're going to have to steal, Hermione? Shredded skin of a boomslang? That's definitely not in the student's cupboard. What are we going to do? Break into Snape's private stores? I don't know if this is a good idea. That's obviously two long quotes from the chapter just merged together and ends with exactly what they're going to do. They're going to develop a plan to break into Snape's cupboard and steal the ingredients that they need for this potion. But it's a solid plan. What could go wrong? Fireworks are coming. (laughs) That's another foreshadow. If you know, you know. Two. This, uh, said Dobby, plucking at the pillowcase. Tis a mark of a house elf's enslavement, sir. Dobby can only be freed if his masters present him with clothes, sir. The family is careful not to pass Dobby even a sock, sir. For then he would be free to leave their house forever. My Dobby needs some work, but again, that's a quote. It's Dobby explaining how the clothes rule for house elves even works, and it's a foreshadow to the end of this book. When... Harry's able to trick Lucius Malfoy into giving Dobby a what? A sock. Which, apparently Dobby's a seer, knowing that a sock is in his future. And Dobby will be free. A free elf. Shout out to our patron tier, the free elves. You want to check that out? Patreon.com slash belatedbinge. Three, and now, at Hogwarts, terrible things are about to happen, are perhaps already happening, and Dobby cannot let Harry Potter stay here now that history is to repeat itself, now that the Chamber of Secrets is open once more. Okay, we should probably stop with the Dobby voice. But, again, we get the foreshadow that this is not the first time that the Chamber of Secrets has been open. It absolutely has been opened now it has been opened in the past and history is somewhat going to repeat itself and it's not safe terrible things are happening going to happen and are already happening pretty much dobby's spot on the nose. this thing this whole thing's on the nose all of this is absolutely right that's it that's the foreshadow all of this is 100 percent correct Four, but Albus, surely who? Ah, the question is not who, said Dumbledore, his eyes on Colin. The question is how. And from what Harry could see of Professor McGonagall's shadowy face, she didn't understand this any better than he did. That's how our chapter ended. And it's a huge foreshadow. Because... I don't know if we're meant to catch this in our first read. Obviously, we catch it in a reread. Dumbledore knows who has opened it. He doesn't know how. He's fully aware that Tom Riddle was the person who opened this the first time around. That's why he let Hagrid stay on... Well, I mean, I don't know that he necessarily let Hagrid be gameskeeper, like, immediately at whatever he was, 13, when he got expelled... But he obviously 
he kept in touch, and he let Hagrid come back and work at Hogwarts, probably when he became headmaster is likely when that started. I don't know. There's probably a Potter No More article about it. It doesn't matter. He knew that Hagrid wasn't the one that opened the Chamber of Secrets the first time. He knew that it was Tom Riddle. He knows that Tom Riddle is the heir of Slytherin. So he knows that Tom Riddle is to blame for opening it now. But he doesn't realize how he could do it. To his knowledge, at this very moment, based on the conclusion of the last book, Voldemort is still a wisp of sorts. A soul, a free spirit in the world without a body, without a a wand, without true power. So how could he re-enter the castle and go open the Chamber of Secrets? He doesn't know about the diary. He doesn't know about Ginny. He doesn't know how. But he already knows who. And that's why he doesn't suspect Harry in the slightest. Now, let's give away some House Points. points. In true Hogwarts fashion, these points are completely subjective with no oversight and fully at my discretion. This week, I'm giving House Points to Harry. Harry's getting 50. He's been through a lot in this whole ordeal, and he deserves the points. Hermione is getting 10 for getting them the book that they need and for formulating the plan in the first place, even if it isn't a great plan. Colin is getting 10 for trying to be nice to Harry and bring him grapes and getting petrified for his troubles. That's rough. I'm not even sure 10's enough, but again, it's my call. Now I'm going to take away some house points. Dobby's losing 50 for trying to take Harry's head off with a bludger and then not actually explaining shit when he showed back up to explain shit. It's super frustrating. And Lockhart is also losing 50 for using magic against a student without consent and removing all of the bones in Harry's arm. Idiot. I'll add these points up in my nerdy spreadsheet as soon as I create it, so that they can aid us in the end of this season's Bingy Awards episode. Before we go, we have to acknowledge the moments in the chapter that were utterly... Ridiculous. Ridiculous. Of course, it's not an episode of The Binge if we don't call out what didn't make any sense at all. And I've already complained about enough in this chapter. So I'm not going to go crazy here this time. Um, Just quickly, all the Lockhart stuff is obviously ridiculous. All the stuff that I said earlier about no medical staff at Quidditch and really the trio's plan's kind of ridiculous and there's there's just there's lots of ridiculousness happening. Uh, I also find it unlikely that Dumbledore didn't hear Dobby disapparate at the end of the chapter. Sure, of course he's busy and preoccupied and all of that, but this is the, the most powerful and astute wizard alive who's on high alert after a student was attacked in the castle. 
I'm thinking he'd be hypersensitive to anything that could be you know, thought of as a threat. And the crack of disapparition would qualify as a threat, since you can't apparate and disapparate in Hogwarts. Don't think that would have stood out a little bit? Maybe? I know his nose is crooked, but there ain't nothing wrong with his ears. Anyway, with that, we've reached the end of this episode of Belated Binge. As always, shout out to producer Jack, who I work like a dog. Remember to follow and subscribe to the show on whatever podcast player you're using right now. And if it supports a rating and review option, please leave one. You have no idea how helpful that can actually be. And if you're so inclined, check out the additional benefits available on patreon.com slash belated binge. If you're reading along, next episode, we're covering chapter 11 of Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets, The Dueling Club, with the hosts of For Fox's Sake. Until then, see you next time on the Belated Binge Podcast. But Albus, surely who? The question is not who said Dumbledore, his eyes on Colin. The question is, how? And from what Harry could see of Professor McGonagall's shadowy face, she didn't understand this any better than he did.